want to start off this Advent season with a question. How many of you believe in ghosts? One, two, three. Most people are like, I do, but I don't want anybody to think I'm crazy, so I'm not raising my hand. And I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm there with you because there was a time when I'm like, I'm not sure that I believe in ghosts either. And probably the only experience I've ever had with ghosts, if there are such a thing, uh, was um, was an occasion that was um, uh, it, it was a, it was a very quiet summer afternoon, and I was sitting in my mom's house, which used to belong to. My grandmother, which used to belong to somebody else who had designed it uh, so that you could live in the downstairs part of this house. And then the upstairs was divided into a couple of apartments. And a long time ago, because four different railroads merged on the city of Mattoon that I grew up in, there was uh, a need for uh, places for people that worked for the railroad to stay over. And as um, uh, the proximity of my grandmother's house was not too far away from the railroad station. Uh, a lot of workers would come and they would, they would spend the night in, uh, in the upper apartments and sometimes there would be several workers staying up there. And the rumor was, or the story was, that there was an altercation one evening between two workers. And as a result of that altercation, uh, the homicide detectives had to show up at this residence because somebody didn't come out of there alive. And I never really thought too much about it until people started telling me within my family, there are strange things that happen in this house. And I, of course, you know, hadn't experienced any of them, so I was dubious. And then one day, as I mentioned at the beginning, I was sitting in a chair, all alone. The upstairs was locked up. There was no one in the apartment up there. It was basically a storage area. And as I'm sitting there and I'm reading a book and no one else is in the house and it is extremely quiet, I hear these footsteps walk right above me across the room. And I'm like wait a minute, who's in my mom's house up in the attic, or up in the upper, upper, upper story? And so I immediately got up, went up the steps, unlocked the door, went in, checked all the windows, which were all locked, looked all around, and there wasn't a person up there. And then the hair on the back of my neck began to stand up. And I thought, Leonard, did you just imagine that, or did that really just happen? And I know there are times when our imagination gets the best of us, but when you hear footsteps intentionally walk across the floor above you in a room that is presumed to be locked, it does get your attention. And I'm not sure if that was actually... Um, uh, the, the ghost of the person who was killed in that house. I don't know what it was. All I know is that it defied explanation. And probably if I were to take a survey in this room that was anonymous, some of you would say, yeah, I've had my moments where I've seen some strange stuff. And I choose just not to talk about it because, you know, you know what they do with people that see strange stuff. And as we go into this Advent season, 
the concept of ghost is going to be in the backdrop of what we're going to be talking about. And I'd like to center it this year on the ghosts of past, present, and future. Now when I say that, does that sound familiar? Anybody know where I'm going with this? Anybody familiar with Marley's ghost? You guys know it, don't you? You know that in 1844, a very short novel was written that somehow changed how we view Christmas. Matter of fact, there is a, a movie that's, that's come out this year called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And it's about that person that many of us have probably heard about in, in, in popular culture that is so f- foreign and long ago and yet so timeless in what he had to say. And that was Charles Dick's Dickens. And when he wrote the book, A Christmas Carol, it was during a time when there were industrial revolutions happening in England. And a lot of things were occurring where people were working long hours and the, the masses were feeling the pain and the, the transitions that were part of that whole experience. So much so that children were working um, endless hours and exploited. People were put into debtor's prison for not being able to pay their their bills. And in all of this, there were people at the top of the food chain that were looked upon as being totally indifferent to the problems that everyday people faced. And one of the characters that I want to focus on Probably the character that you can imagine. The character that is infamous. When I say the word Ebenezer, and I end it with Scrooge, you guys know what I mean. Know what I mean, don't you? It is. Um, it is a guy who thought it was going well in life. He was very comfortable, and he didn't need anyone or anything except to just keep him making money. He's very content living an isolated life, insulated from everything that's happening around him, and in a sense, from a spiritual point of view, he was content to be a dead man walking. And the Christmas story opens up with the phrase, Marley was dead. And I don't know if you know who Marley was, but Marley was Scrooge's business partner who had died seven years to the day on Christmas Eve. And as Dickens begins to unfold this story, he's trying to, in a subtle way, I think, help us all to see things that the Bible has been trying to communicate to us for a long time. And that is, we can get so caught up in in doing our own thing that we lose our ability to be aware of what's happening around us with people that are hurting, with people that are in need. And it is a way of bringing back to the front and center of our vision what life is really all about. Now, there's a word that I started off with, and it was, do you believe in ghosts? And the one thing that occurs alongside ghosts is the concept of being haunted. 
And hauntings can happen in old houses with weird stories about tragic events. But they can also happen to us when things that are going on in our hearts and our lives are not quite right. And God haunts us and haunts our conscience in a way that says, you probably need to pay attention to this. And for each of us, God may have something this Christmas season that he wants us to pay attention to in our lives that may not be quite right. And the only reason why God wants to do that is because he has a better vision for your life and for mine. As we just attend to the the parallel storylines today of the experience of the prophet Isaiah... And of the opening staff of A Christmas Story, we're going to bring to light how God works in our lives to make this happen. I want to start off with a haunting that happened in Isaiah chapter 6. Here's a guy who is just doing his religious duties. And he's kind of unaware of the realities of God or the things that God truly has in mind for him to do. And I'm just going to start there with, with him. And he's, he's, he's in the temple and he's praying one day. And as he's doing that, he knows that the world around him is in chaos. That people are living in despair. There is hopelessness. And the word of God just isn't getting into hearts. And with that said, he tells us, In the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord... Sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him the seraphim, that is the angels, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And in that haunting image, he heard them calling out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations are the thresholds, shook as the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And this is what he said Go to a people who will be ever hearing, but never perceiving. Go to a people who will be ever seeing but never understanding go to a people who if they would only hear they would turn and I would heal them and restore them and Isaiah's task is the same task that I feel Charles Dickens was trying to bring to bear upon the lives of the people who needed to hear it. And as I read through the Christmas story, and I've, I've seen different variations of it, I mean, let's just take a survey. How many of you have seen uh, the Christmas story um, in, in some sort of dramatic fashion? Maybe as a play? Maybe, how many of you have seen the Muppet version of the Christmas story? Some of you have seen that, okay. All right. How many of you have seen the George, George C. Scott version of the Christmas story? In my mind, that is probably the best depiction because it literally follows the story itself. And it's helpful in that way. Now, it was in 1984 when this came out. 
but visually it, it I think, captures uh, what we need to see. But before we go into that, I want us to consider a little bit farther down the road as Isaiah takes this call, which is the calling that I think every pastor, every believer has. And that is to make the good news known to people that really don't think that they need any good news. And Isaiah, whenever he heard this at first, he said, I am not worthy of even sharing the good news. I am a man of unclean lips. I am totally undone by this vision that I see. And God said, no, I will... I will cleanse you and I'll make you fit for this job so that people who need to hear it will hear it. And this quote that, that I gave you from memory, that Isaiah was told that you're going to go and preach and they're not going to listen. You're going to go and say my words and they're not going to understand. And ironically in the New Testament, of all the Old Testament passages that are quoted from Uh, quoted in the New Testament, did you know that the one most frequently quoted is from Isaiah 6? Because the problem has always been the same. We get caught up in our own world. We get a little bit too selfish. We forget God. And then we wonder why we're such a mess. Sometimes we think, I'm not a mess at all. It's everybody else that's messed up. But from God's point of view, he says, there's a better picture. And so I want to just read the first two verses of Isaiah 9. And as I do, we'll go into our our story. But there will be no gloom for those who are in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land of the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. And Advent is all about taking the darkness... The darkness that we can't even fully see or understand, but we know is there, and shining the light on it. Let's just see how that plays out. Let's 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 see this little clip from a Christmas Carol that uh, includes Mr. George C. Scrooge, Scott. I presume, indeed, you do, sir. You don't know us, nor do I wish to. My name is Poole, and this is Mr. Hackett. Excellent. Now, if you'll allow me to pass. Uh, Let me explain something. At this festive season of the year, it seems desirable that those of us with means should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at this time. Provision? Are you seeking money from me then? Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts. Are there prisons? Plenty of prisons. The workhouses, they're still in operation? They are. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill, the poor houses, still in full vigor? All very busy, sir. (laughs) I was afraid from what you said, that something had stopped them in full force. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and food and warmth. Oh, what can we put you down for, sir? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. 
My taxes help to support the public institutions which I have mentioned, and they cost enough. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population. Surely you don't mean that, sir. With all my heart. Now, if you will go about your business, gentlemen, and allow me to go about mine. So according to some, there are people on this planet who should be decreased as excess population, which is a pretty sad statement from a human being towards other human beings who don't have the same opportunities or privileges. And that seems kind of extreme, but whenever we zoom in on our own lives, there may be ways that we look at one another, the ways that we treat one another, the ways that we perhaps look down on other people. That the spirit that inhabits a person of that mind is really the same spirit that kind of inhabits us. It's a way of saying, I could really care less that people are suffering. I could really care less that people around me are going through a difficult time. Could really care less about how maybe I'm treating my neighbor. Could care less about the bitterness inside of me towards somebody that's upset me. Could care less about how I'm called to be generous, yet I live in fear, not trusting that God can provide. And all of those things God churns to the surface. One way or another, he does that in our lives. Because God loves us for who we are. But he loves us enough not to keep us there. And so he will haunt us whenever we need to be haunted. So that we can see what we need to see. So that we can understand what we need to understand. And as he does that... He helps us to become the people that we're called to be. This Advent season, as I, as I look at that scene, and as I've read through a Christmas story, and, and by the way, we, it's only a 25-page document. We can print it out for you if you like, and just let me know or put on your Connect card, and I, I'll be happy to get you a copy. It's a fun read, and I think it sets it up really nicely. But the thing that I think God is working on in your life and mine has to do with time and how it is how it is that it works in our lives. When we look in our rearview mirror and we think about the things that we've done in the past, maybe there are things that were choices that we made at one point where we decided that we weren't going to get too close to people anymore. Or maybe we were just going to remain angry. Perhaps that choice that we made in the past is, it's a regret now. And we're sorry that we did it. And it haunts us. And in all of those things, God has given us a way to relate to our past and to put it into a healthy place. I know there are a lot of people who've walked into this room today and you're thinking about Christmas and you're thinking about a loved one who isn't here anymore. And it's not easy. And there may be some people who 
didn't come because my goodness, now I got to be thinking about the person that is no longer here. And maybe some of us, we've walked into this room and we're just uneasy about something that has to do with a person that we cared about in our lives for a long time, but now we're, we're kind of distant and it's tense. Some of us have walked into this room and we're thinking, if only I had done more. And when God looks at the clock, he says, there is a way to relate to time. There is a way to find healing and forgiveness. There is a way to make choices that will make you a better person and a better future version of yourself. And I hope it's not too dramatic because I think the best way to do it is through Jesus. But God may use other things. He may use stories like this. Now I want to go to another scene as we set this whole thing up because this is actually, I could say it's a sermon in five parts that's going to last through the month of December. Marley has been dead for seven years and he's had to carry in his afterlife state the burden of all the choices that he made because those choices eventually made him forever. strange to you, or would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, and as long as this seven Christmas Eve ago you have labored on it since it is a ponderous chain. I see no chain. Mine were invisible until the day of my death, as yours shall be. Tell me more. Speak. Comfort to me. I have none to give. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole. No doubt of that. You always were a good man of business. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. I'm sorry for you, Dick. Is there anything I can do for you? For me? Nay, it is too late. But I have come for your sake, Ebenezer. Have you? Well, you always were a good friend. As part of my penance, I have been sent to warn you. And so you have. And to offer you a hope and chance of escaping my fate. You will be haunted by three spirits. Three spirits? Is that the chance and hope you mention? It is. Well, in that case, I, I think I'd rather not. Expect the first tonight. 
When the bell tolls one, couldn't they all come at the same time, Jacob, and have it over? Expect the second on the stroke of two. The third, more mercurial, shall appear in his own good time. Well, I know by today's standards, the CGI is probably not quite up to speed, but I hope that the sense of that moment captures you enough that as we go into the weeks ahead, you think about the haunting of Marley, and you perhaps think about your own relationship with God and the darkness that he's working on in in each of our lives. And as you do that, the consolation that we have is that's just a story. And God has already done something to set things in motion so that we can come correct and come correct quickly. And those things were described a long time ago as Ebenezer Scrooge is looking at the things that are cropping up around him, beginning with the image of Marley on the, uh, on, the door, on the door knocker, going to the tiles in his, uh, that, are, that are over his fireplace, and how they're all images depicting scenes from the Bible. And one of those haunting scenes shows the communion table. And in the center of those tiles that depict the communion table is again Marley's ghost. And it's, I think, a good way to capture as we take communion together today and as God brings to our awareness deep from within those things that keep us apart from him and keep us apart from each other. God may be saying to you and I, it's time to move forward. It's, it's time to change So as I think about A Christmas Carol, this is what I see. Go ahead and and, and put the slide over that. A Christmas Carol, like the season of Advent, begins to shine a light on our own darkness. I believe that. And as it does that, these are the changes that take effect. When we see ourselves through the eyes of past, present, and future, we begin to change how we look at the world we begin to change how we act in the world and we begin to change how we will be remembered in the world. Because you only have one life to live and as you live it, you are either falling in line with a beautiful story that leads to uh, incredible hope and transformation in God Or you live a story where you're just haunted forever, alienated and isolated from those good things that God has had in mind with us, for us, forever. And here's the most important change that I think has to occur. Change in how we relate to our Savior. In the lighting of today's Advent candle... We read these words from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, or chapter 9, 5 through 6. He tells us, 
For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continuously, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. In lighting the first Advent candle, we ponder together that darkness that God is beginning to expose through his wonderful light. And I just want to set this up in a very general sense so that we hopefully understand the story as we leave. And then in the next installation of messages, we begin to see how that works in your life and in mine. Would you bow with me? Father, we begin this Advent series knowing that through time, history doesn't repeat itself, but it seems to rhyme. The people that fell away from you because their hearts became hard that Isaiah was called to speak to are no different than the people that we see depicted in the story in, in mid-18th century Victorian England. And no different than the, the people that we are today. The, the dividing line of our own selfishness and our own darkness and our own goodness and perhaps our own righteousness runs right down the middle of each of us. And your goal, Lord, in all of these scenarios is to make us the people that we need to be. And the stories that we hear that point us in that direction are just signposts reminding us, each of us, that there is a greater reality, there is a greater hope, there is a better vision, and there is a better way. So, Father, I just want to pray for all of us here. That as you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, experience constantly that divine community, that divine dance, and you call us into that, we need to be those people that are for each other. As the Son came, who was for the Father, and the Father sent the Spirit to help the Son, and in that circle of watching out for each other, God, we see that that is what you want each of us to do for one another and for people beyond the boundaries of this church. So I pray, Father, that you help us to surrender our hearts and our minds to the life that we are called to live. If we need that wonderful counselor to help us along, please be that to each of us here. If we need that mighty God in an environment where we're fearful and insecure, may we find in you that peace and that rest. If we need that Prince of Peace, that Prince that offers a peace that goes beyond all understanding, help our restless hearts to be calm and to know that your son Jesus brings to bear all of those things. Help us, Father, as we go through this season together, not to just think of it as another Christmas season 
and another habitual response to the same old things, but help us to be in tune with what it is that you want to do through us as you prepare us for things we trust are the wonderful unfolding aspects of the life that we are called to live into the future. I pray for everyone here. I pray for our church. I pray for our community that it would be a different season and that Christ would be at the center. And I ask all God's people to say with me now, Amen.